Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Work Alchemy podcast series on impact, talking with entrepreneurs and organizational leaders who contribute to building a more cooperative and positive future. I'm Ursula York, the host of this series. I'm a mentor to business people who want to have a positive effect on the world around them, building strong businesses by creating value for their clients, team members, and the larger world. I am so passionate about sharing with you the stories of leaders and entrepreneurs who have impact. They're inspiring and energizing role models. I hope you use what you learn here to be inspired about what you can do in your business and beyond. For ongoing inspiration and support to get clear on your impact and put it into action, enter your name and email at workalchemy.com. Today's guest in this podcast series on impact is Kent Dietemeyer. Kent has operated a successful animal health and veterinary diagnostic services company in the South Pacific since 1993. An American and New Zealander, Kent has bridged cultures and oceans in his work. He has a 40-year successful track record in international business and international relations expertise in Asia, Australasia, North America, and Europe in animal health. With degrees in animal science, international management from Thunderbird, and applied science in immunology, Kent is also an alumnus of INSEAD's Advanced Management Program. Kent is a published author in veterinary publications and a lecturer on veterinary immunology and vaccinology. Kent loves wildlife and spends his time supporting the New Zealand Endangered Wildlife Recovery Programs. He's a trustee and major financial donor to Wildbase, Massey University's Veterinary Science Wildlife Health Clinic for Wildlife Health Research. Kent also has a creative side as a watercolorist and skilled photographer in medium format film and digital photography. He has published two photography books, Northern New Mexico, A Photographer's Tribute, and Expressions of Light. So welcome to the podcast, Kent. I'm so delighted that you can join us here. Oh, thank you very much, Ursula. It's nice to to uh, speak with you about this. So tell me what drew you to this business in particular. You started out and grew up in the United States and you somehow ended up in, in the South Pacific. And to, can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, yes, it's a, it's a very long story, but we can really shorten it. Um, my background, uh, I was always interested in biology and uh, loved animals. I worked on ranches and in Colorado when I was growing up and uh, through university. I entered into animal sciences in, uh, at Colorado State University and kind of grew on from there. Um, I, after my uh, timing at, uh, time at Thunderbird and getting a degree in international management, um, I applied for work uh, with a veterinary company based in, in the United States and with the sole purpose to open a branch office in Singapore. <laughs> wow. And that was back in 1977. So ever since then, I've been on the move. Um, and I've stayed in that industry all these years, um, working in Singapore, opening up an office, looking after Asia Pacific, uh, moving to England, looking after a European distribution system for them. Uh, eventually joining a uh, Solvay and Company, mm-hmm. which is a Belgian chemical company, uh, and looking after their animal health business in a marketing position um, worldwide. 
And from there, they decided to invest quite heavily in Asia-Pacific area. And so moved me back to Singapore. And, um, you know, I just keep kept on rolling. And finally, at the end of it, after moving so many times, intercontinental movements, and my dog had lived in four countries, <laughs> we, just, we, decided, we decided that we would... We would settle down in New Zealand. Uh, we bought a company that uh, was needing a new manager and new owner and uh, with a, a New Zealand uh, partner and a good friend of mine. Um, we set that up uh, almost 24 years ago. Hmm. So we just keep on moving on, and, and uh, it's a lovely place to live, work, raise children, um, as well as a, a very neat place to do international business from. Get a lot of support from government, as well as uh, really lucky to have some very loyal clients throughout the South Pacific. That's great, and you have pretty easy access to all parts of that that side of the world from New Zealand too. Yes, very much so, and and New Zealand's um, you know very much tied in with the South Pacific and uh, but you know if we need to go to Australia it's a three-hour flight Singapore it's nine to ten hours back to the US it's 12 so and we're used to long distances we don't that doesn't right. work us any much <laughs> well, you're so used to it at this point yeah yeah Do, what is it that that you feel has made your business unique or special and and your contribution to it what do you what do you think helps it stand I, out yeah that's a really good question and and we we think about this all the time particularly when we're doing our business planning and strategies um, we try to make ourselves unique First of all, we're in a niche market. We don't pretend to uh, compete with big companies and their big products. We picked off an area that we feel that we could be the specialist in and build on that. And, and we chose the, the vaccine area, particularly in the, in the poultry industry where vaccine use is, um, has a very long history, uh, very sophisticated, um, and uh, that fits very well with my my background, which mm -hmm. is technical as well as marketing, but um, so we're able to to find a niche not only in a regional market but also um, in a in a growing area in the animal health area, and that's going away from antibiotics and going to preventative medicine, mm -hmm. which is vaccination and prevention. So we've been doing that a long time, and some people are just figuring that out while we're way ahead of the game. So uh, the other side is that we also offer our clients uh, not only vaccines, but our, it's the technical support that matters to them. Mm -hmm. And we have a veterinary diagnostic laboratory. We're able to monitor their vaccination programs, tell them what's working and what's not working, and troubleshoot for them. So they really appreciate that. At bigger companies and other people we you know probably compete with, they they just want the sales, but the technical service just isn't there mm -hmm. and that's that's the area we fit in yeah and and the i mean you, you're an interesting mix in terms of your background because uh, as you know my my background originally was in science as well and to have someone be very adept at the scientific aspects as well as marketing is a really unusual combination 
Yes, I agree. Yeah, kind of rare species. Yeah. <laughs> Endangered, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a great attribute to be able to bring to your company. So, is is uh, one of the things that I'm always intrigued about is how entrepreneurs choose to set up their company in terms of their employees and the kind of relationship that you choose to have with your employees. Could you talk a little bit about that and and share with well, us what you've done there? That's also really a poignant question for us because we're obsessed with our team and having a team effort, uh, building a culture where everybody loves to come to work. Um, we've worked on that for all these years that we said when we did set up, we're going to, number one, have a nice place to work. The facilities are, are new, uh, light. You know, it's just everything is just a really nice environment to have. Mm-hmm. Um, we get together very frequently. It's a small company. There's only about 11 of us. and But we get together every Monday morning for a, a staff meeting so everybody's kind of in the same mood. We really enforce the working together. Um, we And I personally detest micromanagement. So I really like people to take the initiative, feel responsible for their jobs, and that makes such a big difference. Um, Compensation-wise, we're way over the, the median in our in our area, so we really uh, like to keep people and uh, make sure that they're making certainly be- much better than a, a living wage. Um, and that, that pays off because we want to keep our experience and staff. Mm-hmm. And more than that is choosing people that like to work with our clients and to develop that client relationship because at the end of it, without our clients, we're, we're really nothing. And in this, in this field, you're working with people that have large farms, large investments, and you really need to work very closely with them. And so that, that side of our business is, is very crucial. And I've learned this for a long time. People want, you know, it's like any of us are, that are consumers, and it's the same for us. We see our clients as a consumer, but we're also very much involved with them because our products either make them or break them. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, if they don't use them, they're, they're, they're not doing well. But if they are using them and we're helping them use them properly, then they can do very well. So that effort has to be really there. That In fact, the product is really kind of a means to an end to to really get our technical service in with them because it's really the technical services that create the connection, mm-hmm. tight connection, and we get the loyalty back. So that's sort of our where our values sit um, in that area. Yeah, that's great. I, uh, I love hearing about the details of how you've chosen to create this kind of environment. You meet weekly. It's I mean, you have a small, smaller company, so it's it's easier to do that. But that kind of connection is something that you have to consciously work to create, and you you have done that, and and helping them to really take ownership for what they do is. Uh, and, and we have, I think, the other thing we recognize very early on in our region, we have a mixture of of, of industries, and we work in third world situations. Uh, it can be in Papua New Guinea and Fiji, but our clients are pretty modern in their thinking and how they work. So we have to adapt 
to their way of thinking as well. Um, mm -hmm. New Guinea is quite a different place than Fiji, and they're all quite different than New Zealand. But we have to be very flexible, work within their their cultures, and uh, we find it very satisfying. And we don't even think about it anymore because we it's just um, it's almost Zen like, you know. We we just know. <laughs> We just know, and uh, when you're in somebody else's culture, you just know how to fit in and what they want. I think it's really important that. Mm -hmm. Well, you've obviously had a long-standing interest in international business, and that's such a crucial part of it, is to be able to put yourself in the shoes of the people that you're working with, even if you come from a different background. So, Yes, it's, it's something I learned very early on back in Thunderbird. We always talked about cross-cultural communication mm -hmm. was drilled into us. And it was meant to be drilled into us so it became a natural part of our, of our function, that it was something that was not artificial, mm -hmm. that we knew what we had to do. We knew that when we were working in different cultures um, that, you know, we had sensitivities. Um, we were sensitive to people's needs, uh, to their language. We all had to learn another language. Um, at least one, and uh, so that really that really helped me all through these last forty years. It's just been um, so valuable. Yeah, well, that's great. I, I I can see that both in the way that you're choosing to set up your business for support of clients as well as your team members. Uh, is it fair to say that you? really have a strong interest in and feel it's important for you to make a con positive contribution through your business. It's, it's a, I, I use the term impact for that. And, um, it, if it's important to you, why, why is it important to you personally? Um, I think it's the, it's the satisfaction I get in being able to use our knowledge, experience, our skills and to really help people. And we take those, to, to make a, a point, I guess, is my own activities with the, um, the Endangered Avian Species Recovery Program in, in New Zealand because we have a number of, of wildlife species that are endangered. And we can give back to that because we understand diseases, we understand um, birds <laughs> right. Right. and wildlife, and we've been giving back to that for a long time. But even it goes beyond the the wildlife side that we can give our skills back. Um, we get involved with social needs and requirements, particularly in the islands where they don't have things so good. And, you know, we recently I was in Fiji after the big cyclone Winston hit there and mm -hmm. saw the devastation. And so we um, put some funds together and donated it to the Archdiocese of Suva, Fiji, because the maternal, um, their maternity hospital had been ruined by the hurricane, and they needed some money to, to help rebuild it. So there you go. It, uh, we just <laughs> said, let's do that, because it had an, an, an impact. It didn't matter what kind of business we were in, and uh, so we've done that, and we donate to the Fiji Cancer Society every month. So there's a social consciousness. And then at home... <clears throat> You know, we live. I live in Christchurch, New Zealand, which is devastated with um, earthquakes um, a number of years ago, mm -hmm. and we continue to get a shake once in a while. And our our city's hurting, and a lot of people are hurting. 
So for many, many years and way beyond before the earthquakes hit, we decided we had to give back to our own community that supports us. So we work very closely with the city mission. And um, so we donate funds uh, every month to help them out. Um, and we've increased that because it's we know people are hurting. They've lost their homes. We've lost 12,000 homes wow. in, in Christchurch. It's the downtown area was completely devastated. Mm-hmm. Um, and the homeless situation is only... It's just still there, and it's a lot of pressure. So, you know, that's that's what we can do. Um, and I, we just we don't like to make a big noise about it. We just do it and get on with it. And uh, I think that's one of the things that you know we get our own satisfaction from knowing that people have been helped. Sure. And that's it. Yeah. Yeah. How did that desire to have impact to be? Uh, someone who's involved in positive change and supporting other people, how did that evolve? Is that something that you've always felt as a child, or is it something that's kind of developed in you as time's gone on? Um, I think probably it was always there. Uh, And it it only probably developed over over years, and having worked in the third world as long as I have um, in, in certain places, whether it's in Asia or, you know, I was in India a lot back in the 1980s um, and you know it was really I felt an impact uh, again about things with poverty I've always very interested in rural development and trying to lift these these economies um, through their rural development programs and being very much a part of that and offering our skills back and like in Fiji and whatever we we work with people that are in villages um, to help them raise poultry healthily and uh, so they can eat and also sell some chickens and make money. Um, so there's a bit of compassion in it. Um, I must say that my own, um, you know, I guess my own uh, Christian background and being a Catholic, um, we there's something about a being instruments of peace and compassion and love and faith and and I think some of that comes through it has to um, it's it's just part of who you are and uh, and I think that's part of my probably very heavy my faith coming through mm-hmm. I'd like to think so anyway yeah but I don't think about it like that I just do it <laughs> I'd like to do it that way yeah well it's become very much become part of you yeah 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 one of the things that I've been asking people about is is how your values inform the impact that you want to have and that you do have. I, I believe that values are really behind what we do, whether we really are conscious of it or not. So uh, how is your business a reflection of the values that you have? You talked about compassion and love. Are there mm-hmm. other values that you bring into your business? Um, I think it's one is is look, looking after staff, um, and that's a big value for me. And again, it's something that has to come naturally. Um, we, it's always in our strategy, our business planning that we look after our staff, and and it goes back to there's an old because I'm an old animal husbandry person. It goes back to what we call an animal husbandry, the ancient contract. Mm-hmm. It basically says this. If you look after your animals, your animals look after you. It's the same with business. If you look after your business and your people and your clients, they're going to look after you. So it's kind of a 
an interesting way to look at things. Um, we we uh, I get somewhat aggravated when I and I work with some companies that are owned by hedge funds and whatever, and I see what they go through sometimes. They're good hedge funds. There's some some not so good, but I see asset stripping. I see big layoffs of people, and I can't relate to that anymore. I've I've maybe at my age now. Um, I look back and say, this is so foreign to me because I worked, I, I was fortunate to work in a, with a big company in Belgium that was like a very large family, mm-hmm. 50,000 employees, but you felt like you were wanted. People never left, you know, they were there for life and it was a completely different kind of a, a value system that I saw very different than many American companies that do not put so much value on keeping their staff. I mean, they can come in and, and wipe, you know, 20, 25% of their staff um, just to make their quarterly dividends type of thing. Uh, we can't work that way. We have to have long-term. We have to th- think about legacies, our business legacy, um, that our staff are taken care of, and they don't have to worry about where they're headed. They know that they, you know, they're, they're very uh, well looked after, but more than that, they're highly valued and I think that's important yeah absolutely I um, I think that is so much um, part of what sets a business like yours apart is that very compassionate approach and I I, I hope that even American business is changing in that I, I if you I'm sure you're aware of the conscious business movement um, where companies seem to be coming around to the idea that the welfare of the people who work with them is so integral to the welfare of the business. Oh, very much so. And I, I'm only reminded that of just coming back to the States for a, um, a long break here and walking into the, um, I'll, I'll say the name, Costco. Mm-hmm. And I'm always blown away. And you see on the board, the the, the employees board and how many the length of service of the people there. And you go in and you're met by happy people You ch- at the checkout counter or the, the guy putting in, you know, the veggies, looking after the veggie section. They're all very happy. They're helpful. You go, this is, this is the way businesses need to be run. And they're successful. Yes. And they pay living wages, you know. Yeah, Costco really takes care of their people, which, yep. um, yeah, they've yep. got a great reputation for that. Yeah. So that's a, a really a, a wonderful example, and I nice. It's nice to come home and see that you know still going like that, and that's it does set an example for the rest of the the industry. I think. Mm-hmm. What are what do you think is the most important way that you impact your customers? And uh, in in I mean, you spoke of a number of aspects of it, but w- what aspect do you think is most important? I believe it's um, I believe it's going beyond the, the the sale of a product, and it's the value added side, and that's the technical service, and so it's training staff, farm staff, how to vaccinate animals, um, how to to come in and help them troubleshoot if there's looking like a disease problem. We, my veterinarian is a PhD veterinary pathologist. Um, we can take samples, we can go back to the lab and try and help them determine what's going on um, and develop uh, some kind of preventative health program around that. 
and that means a lot to our clients. It's a huge impact. So we're not just just selling the product. It's just it's really that that next step. It's the added value um, for the the client to be able to finish that last step, so that he's using our products correctly and getting the the best results he can. But beyond that is if he has other problems, we can help him with and um, guide him in the right direction. But we can find out, you know, through our laboratory what may be going on or not going on. And I think that's that's where things really happen. I I think I, I just a um, I have an an example. I think I've uh, we lease our car in New Zealand, and it's a through Honda, and their service and their contact with clients is, is kind of the same way. Um, I've worked with other other companies and dealers and whatever to lease cars. But these people are they're on the phone, they call you every once in a while, how's things going? Um, they call you when there's a service reminder. Wow. Um, I we had a, a new employee come in last year. The dealer said I will pick him up at the airport with his new car. You know, and you're going, really? <laughs> I said, see how things are done. I said, this is this is wonderful. So for me, that you know, they're an excellent example of how that added value just makes all the difference in the world, and you get so much loyalty back from your clients. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So I think that's that's probably where we we like to go is that that added value and in, in offering troubleshooting uh, really down at the the coal face with the client. Well, I'm a big believer in the the ripple effect of um, these things, even in your own industry and the larger world. What's your perspective on that? Do you feel that what you do and how you do it is having a positive effect on what's going on around you? Yeah, I'd like to in our own little way. Um, Again, I go back to my, my really deep interest in rural development. You know, I come from, you know, my probably like many of us in my generation, um, you know, my grandparents were on the farm. And uh, and knowing what a rural life is and rural development means and how it can be built up. And I think because I work in an area where uh, even in New Zealand, you know, the, the rural economy is very large. And if we can make an impact there, um, you know, it's helping a lot of people. And I think that's that drives us a lot. We we know that we're in a in a right place for that. Um, we can do a lot of good in our own little space. You know, we're not trying to do all things to all people, but in our little space, uh, I think we're doing quite a bit to bring people up by their bootstraps and and uh, help them, particularly up in the South Pacific Islands, where um, you know they don't have it that great and. Uh, so we do a lot up there work. And, again, it's training, uh, being up there, assisting, whatever we need to do to uh, help them up. So I think that's, um, I think that's probably defines us quite a bit is, is how we differentiate ourselves um, is that helping side. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is that something you talk about in your marketing? I know you said you don't like to make a big splash about it, but it's so integral to the – integral to the way your business operates is that something that you've woven in yeah in our in our business too we don't um although in the animal health industry is is very heavy in in advertising and marketing 
um, you know, extensively. Our marketing is really based on the technical service side and and just being there for people. We could spend a lot of money on advertising and probably wouldn't generate another dollar of revenue. Um, if I spend that money on technical service, it all comes back. Um, you know, uh, it's it, it's really money well spent because people then um, understand, you know, what you're all about. You're actually doing it for them. You're helping them out. And that makes all the difference in the world that they could look at ads and, and whatever from us, but it wouldn't make a, a bit of difference if we're not really following through. Um, and it goes back not only to technical service, but it's also how we handle our, um, our logistics and people in the islands can call us, get an order off and we can get it up into the islands within 24 to 48 hours. Mm. You know, they really appreciate that. Um, we try to get them to plan ahead and they don't always do that. <laughs> and, and so, and the same with the New Zealanders and, and our clients there, sometimes they don't really plan ahead very well. And we know that. So we go out of our way to make sure that they're, they're not, um, really handicapped in any way because they can't get their product. And we, and then we end up also in that regard, making sure we always have supplies. And sometimes we have to have a two or three different suppliers going at the same time for the same kind of product because we're essentially the main main supplier in the region. Mm-hmm. And we can't let these people down. Um, well, these, so. these are some really important things to think about from a logistical perspective when you have that goal of service and that level of service in mind that it's it influences every aspect of business. Absolutely. And I, you know, and, and I, I, being a consumer myself, I, I really uh, migrate to those companies that I buy from that really can provide service. I mean, here is uh, another example getting back to the States and walking into an Apple store and needing a new iPhone and um, finding a guy that just falls all over himself to, to not only sell it to me but get it all set up for me. Um, that in turn, my wife decided she needed a new iPad, so, you know... We just we had service and right. it was fantastic, and somebody really interested in what we're doing. So yeah, so there. I think that's uh, very much a, a part of it. Um, yeah, yeah. I have more to say on that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, in in doing all of this, um, supporting your team and all the travel that you do. Are there ways in which your own self-care is plays into your ability to have this kind of impact? And, and what do you do to, as part of your self-care practice that you think is most important, kind of keep your energy up and going? Well, and I, and I apply this across to my staff as well. I'm very cognizant of, of travel stress, and particularly if you've been up in the islands like two weeks in New Guinea and whatever, you know, you're taking malaria tablets, you're, you know, you're away from your wife and kids. Um, and I try to make that up. If they, if they travel on weekends, they get all those days back in lieu. When they're in the office, um, we close the office at five o'clock. I said, I don't want anybody working late. Mm-hmm. Um, have a life. If there's school holidays, we bend over backwards to make sure that people have their time off with their families. Um, at Christmas, like a lot of New Zealand companies, we close for two weeks. 
so everybody gets a, because it's, as you know, it's summer holidays as well as Christmas holidays, and it's sometimes the only time that people can really get away. So we close the office for two weeks. Um, we're, we've trained our clients to plan ahead at that time. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and, and it's, they, vaccines are such that they have to plan ahead, generally speaking. And um, so we warn them ahead of time, make sure, make sure you have it, what you need. Um, and I think that it's, it's things like that. Uh, certainly in terms of health, you know, we provide um, health insurance in addition to our national health service. We provide a major medical insurance for our staff. Um, and then, but for my part and my own self, um, I, I've really gotten very hard on myself about travel, um, not pushing it like I used to. When I was much younger, I thought I was bulletproof. <laughs> And I'm not anymore after this last 30-hour trip. But uh, <laughs> it's just it's making making time for yourself. Um, and you know that you know I, I love my photography, mm-hmm. and I'm trying to make more and more time for that. And uh, that really helps me uh, back away from the business. It also helps me in many ways. Is that backing away from the business gives me time to think about other things, and then. Every once in a while, when you're just kind of out in the middle of nowhere with your cameras, you go, oh, you know what? I should have been thinking about this. This is a good idea. You clear your mind, and suddenly good ideas pop in your head. And um, I think that's really important that you do get away from the business. You have people in charge of the business um, on a day-to-day basis, so you don't have to be there. Again, that micromanagement thing that's a it's a no-no in our company, Right, is give people the responsibility and initiative so you, the bosses and the owners can sit back and reflect, uh, take some time away. And my staff don't, they, they'd like to have me there, but also they know that I need to be away sometimes. And I think that's really important because they realize that we have to care for ourselves as well. Um, and we don't drive ourselves into the wall. So... Um, I think that's important, but I like to think that we're, you know, we allow staff plenty of time. If it's family time, family issues, people need to, oh, you know, they come in and say, um, you know, something's gone wrong at home or the kids got sick. I need to go to the school and pick them up. I said, just go, you know, we don't take it off their hour sheets or anything else. Just, just take care of it. One thing I think is really crucial here on this point. Um, after going through the trauma of sequential earthquakes over a five-year period, you really deeply reflect on life and what really matters. And I think all of us in Christchurch have developed that. Um, it's increased our compassion for each other, uh, number one, but also looking after ourselves. We all, we all have a little bit of post-traumatic stress and, um, when you go through that many major earthquakes, it's something else, and it's insidious because of all the aftershocks. We've had something like 15,000 aftershocks, wow. and you never know when the next one, if that shake is the beginning of another big one or what. Right, and right. We've had too many of those, um, and to see your neighbor's house be torn down because of earthquakes, families ripped apart. Um, you know, we all, in Christchurch, it's, we always say it's two degrees of separation, and in the uh, February 2000 
an 11 earthquake that was a 7.1 right under the city. Uh, not 7.1, it was a 6.2 under the city uh, earthquake. Um, and the whole city came crashing down and 186 people were killed. And we all knew somebody in those buildings, you know, yeah. at first hand. So, boy, you really get a reflection on life. So I think that's something else that's been helpful. I just don't wish that anybody else has to go through that to develop that same level of of uh, sensitivity towards being compassionate. But um, it does it does help. It's it, very clarifying when things like that happen. I know very good term. Yeah, yeah. I've uh, as you know, I I had friends in Christchurch at the time of the earthquake, and they fortunately took the morning to go out of town a short distance, but still they, uh, instead of visiting the cathedral, which collapsed during that earthquake. So it's, uh, I mean, and they still speak of it. So I can, I can only imagine living in that environment and how uh, much that makes you really consider what's valuable and what's important and, and taking care of yourself and as well as your family is a crucial aspect of that. So yeah, I mean, we, we really had to follow through. I mean, we brought in a, um, psychologist to help staff who, you know, we were different levels of sensitivity to this, the trauma. And uh, that helped a lot to help us kind of come to terms with what was going on. I mean, even for myself, I had to come to terms with the, the devastation. And, and so I did it with my photography. Mm -hmm. I would, when I could get towards into near the city and whatever, I took photographs just to to say, God, this really happened. Mm -hmm. And then part of that uh, for me and part of that uh, recovery program for myself is going back in and taking a photo of the new building, you know, which is now there, which, you know, uh, took the place of one that crumbled. Um, seeing the, you know, going into the park and taking pictures of beautiful flowers and stuff and the gardens that are coming up and, and, um, so it's re that's really part of that whole recovery thing. So it's very interesting. But you're right, it's very clarifying. It really puts a perspective on life and what's really important. And, um, and I think that carries through now. I think it's something that, you know, if there's something good to come out of it, it's probably that. <laughs> yeah. Well, as, uh, you and I met actually at a photography workshop in New Mexico, and uh, I, I, you and I share that love of photography and, and the stepping away from things to be able to do that. And I, I think that whatever your interest is, I think that is so important to carve out a little bit of time for yourself to just really be with something you love to do. It's well, I think that's right. And um, having spent... Uh, you know, a number of mentorships with our um, mutual photography teacher, Carlin Tapp. He also taught me a lot of that. Just sometimes leave the camera in the car and just go take a walk and sit down. <laughs> Remember those? Huh? Yeah. Those very important. I love that about Carlin. He's, although he's an incredible professional photographer, he's, he's very much into being present to what's happening. And sometimes exactly. that means leaving the camera behind. So, yeah. and having, being able to take, you know, several days off with them and just the two of us and driving around New Mexico and Arizona, and, you know, going to Canyon de Chez or uh, Chaco Culture Park or, um, you know, up to Ghost Ranch even, um, and just having that one-on-one -on -one with him 
it really, yeah, it really helps. There's, there's a spirituality that comes not only with the camera, but you get behind the lens with this, your spirituality. And I think it comes through, you know, it's yeah. uh, in our photography. So it's, it's very healthy. Yeah, I completely agree. I, uh, I mean, you you talked a bit about the the earthquakes, and are there are there other obstacles that you've come across in having the impact that you want to have? And would you share a bit about that and how you sure. yeah, move through it? Yeah, there's there's some other ones I think that um, we've a couple of things that have been going on the last number of years is our suppliers have been you know that old cartoon where you have the the fish being eaten by a bigger fish, and finally the big shark comes along and eats everybody. Right. And a number of our suppliers have been going through that that same uh, process, and it's changes in people, loss of people, um, and then realizing that they're not flexible anymore, and trying to work with them on supplies. And again, it's a technical business, and needing their support on certain things or research. Um, we find that much more difficult these days than it ever has been um, and we fight even just supply chain problems um, they go on to very restrictive inflexible systems now where that's not our business our business has to be flexible and so we've lost a lot of that flexibility I have to make up for that and I have to end up taking very large um, inventory levels to to cope so that I don't run out of you know, critical vaccines, for instance. Mm -hmm. That's been a big change and a huge hurdle for us. It eats up a lot of working capital, takes a lot of time uh, chasing uh, when supplies can't, you know, don't arrive. And these are very large companies, big pharmaceutical companies, and they're not flexible anymore. And they don't, they just really want the big business. So if you're down in New Zealand, the South Pacific, you're kind of at the end of the world and you know, it's not the biggest market, so their their interest is, tends to wane very heavily. And as they get bigger, the interest wanes even more. And it's all about quarterly dividends and, and not really stretching out and reaching out to say, where do you guys want to be in five years? Right. I mean, we, we do this as a little company. Mm -hmm. But the big companies are looking out, you know, next quarter or maybe in a you know, year out. But um, that's been hard to, to adjust. Uh, secondly, we're seeing a lot more compliance work um, that's gotten expensive and unproductive, <clears throat> and I think that's a worry. I don't mind things that are productive, especially like an occupational safety and health, where we're getting improvements all the time, and there's technology improvements in that area, um, and I'm glad to see that, and we don't mind that kind of compliance. Um, we don't mind biosecurity compliance um, that we have to do to make sure that, you know, our our laboratory and, and our business is squeaky clean, that we're following the laws and the regulations. But then there's um, import restrictions or having to register products um, that's normal in our industry, but then it becomes now very expensive. And so the upshot of that is the big companies go, you've gotten too expensive, your market's not big enough. So we, mm -hmm. we're not interested anymore. So then you're really in trouble. And you have to go find suppliers that are still keen to service a, a modest market, um, but that is, you know, compliance heavy. Um, so that 
that uh, has become a, a bit of a hinder on us. And we're fighting it all the time, particularly as costs have risen significantly. But we're fighting it. We have different ways to fight it. And uh, we've gone to our member of parliament, who's the Minister of Justice of New Zealand, and <laughs> she's helped us. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So that's the beauty of New Zealand, huh? <laughs> go down the street, see your member of parliament. You know, it's a it's a unicameral parliament. There's no upper house. And um, so you can get right to them. And, you know, you, it's, you'll run into the prime minister at the airport every now and then, or he's sitting in front of you on the airplane. So... <laughs> It's kind of cool. Yeah, that's great. Well, and you've put your own flexibility to good use in these situations too yeah. by you know making the adjustments that you need to. So yeah, yeah. that's. Is there any insight or advice that you would share with another business owner who's asking themselves, "How can I have impact? How can I be a positive influence in my in my business and outside of it?" Yeah, I I think it's. It's always going to be a balance. Um, I think there's a number of things. Is one, number one is just for our part, and very early on, I was lucky to have, and still lucky, to have an, an incredibly good accountant who, when he started to work for us, um, he's an outside uh, accountant. But I said, I don't, I don't, you're here to do historical accounting. I need somebody to, who's forward thinking and help us with planning. And he was exactly the right guy. So from day one, we set up um, a budgeting system based on projected cash flows. And we really run the business on a month-to-month -month basis, looking at our numbers. We're, we run a tight ship, and we know where our dollars are. So number one is financially being, making sure you're financially sound. Because without that, you know, you're finished. So, and that runs on a day-to-day -day basis. To the point that they, we produce like a daily summary that shows the, a picture, a snapshot of the, 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 the company today. How much money's in the bank? What would our sales, what are our receivables look like? Um, what the sales have been the last, you know, um, this day? What the exchange rates are? Um, bank account information, uh, customer information. Everything's on one page. And that's that's a beauty, beautiful thing to do, and it takes it takes ten minutes to fill out this mm -hmm. spreadsheet every morning. So then, so that goes with just having being able to walk in the morning into your office and know exactly the status of the company every day. I think that's so important because so many businesses don't track their metrics carefully enough, and it's very easy for things to get out of hand. And there are a lot of moving parts, and especially yes. in the international business where you're dealing with exchange rates and capital expenditures and yeah. um, supplies. Okay. It's yeah, it's really essential. So and, and so and it's very easily done with the technology today and what have you. It's very easily done, and once you set it up and start it, it just carries on. And all that marries into our, our budgeting and our cash flow. So it really now, that takes care of itself, and it doesn't take much time. It takes very little time to keep it up. So I think, number one, if you get that in place, that's a, a solid foundation. So it's really in the, the, the rest of the, the business where you're going to make these impacts. So it's impact with your the staff is having a develop a culture which is caring, you look after your staff. As, as I mentioned, the ancient contract that we use in, uh, 
in animal husbandry is if you look after your animals, you know, they're going to look after you. It's the same. You look after your farm, it's going to look after you. So it's really looking after the, the resources that you have and the, the staffing that you have. Um, you look after them and they'll work for you um, and, you know, not pressure them to the point of exhaustion. Um, that's so important. And then having the right staff, of course. Uh, finally, it's the social consciousness and being aware of where you need to be, not only with your customers and being having an ethical business, treating your your clients with integrity, being very open with them, but also being very supportive, um, and getting involved with you know social activities that have really nothing to do with the business, but just being a member of the community and the, and a wider community, like in our case, which is the entire South Pacific. Um, so I think there's, you know, different facets to this uh, to affect your own environment. It's fairly widespread. But after a while, it, again, it becomes zen-like. Um, once you've established it, it all just sorts, you know, sorts itself out and comes together. Um, so I think it's financial prudence, um, knowing where you are with your business. It's your employers, employees, I should say looking after your, your staff staff well, making sure that you have a company culture that's a positive culture, a work a teamwork group. And then finally it's, you know, uh, having that spread to your clients and uh, working closely with them, with their, you know, you show them integrity, you give back to them in terms of technical support, training, programs, and it all sorts in the end works together. That's the that's the goal. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of that, Kent. I know that, um, I mean, the way that you've brought together not only your um, focus on being really clear about the business side of things and keeping track of that at the same time as building a culture that supports your team and supports your clients as well and what they're doing and, and doing it over such a large geographic area. Um, I think that's a huge accomplishment, and I uh, I really appreciate what well, you what you do in the world. So, well, thank you, thank you. It's and and it was fun. I think probably if I've left out anything in that last question is to make sure you have fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's great. Um, if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to reach you? Um, they can reach me through. Uh, uh, I have a company email. And address if that's the easiest way. Sure. Since uh, you know we're on the other side of the world and down under, right? So it's it's very easy. It's just Kent at PacificVet dot co dot nz or nz as you say here in the U.S. Great. And, and uh, so PacificVet is one word. Okay, great. Okay, great. Yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah, and thank you again for being with us. I, I know this is going to be inspiring for people to hear how you've built your business and the way that you've built it. So sure. thanks again for joining me here today. Oh, it's a pleasure, Ursula. You know, I think what the kind of work you do is really important. Um, as a business owner, we often feel very isolated, and there's nothing better than to be able to talk to somebody else, hear what they do, and have um, get some ideas from them. And if if today's podcast helps somebody, I'm really delighted. <laughs> yeah, and I'm sure it will. I, I appreciate that, and thank you. 
So, so join us for more podcasts on impact. Subscribe to the Work Alchemy podcast channel on iTunes or Stitcher Radio so you'll be notified as soon as new podcasts are available. Thank you to everyone listening for being here. Until next time, to keep that positive flow of energy going in your business so you can have your own impact, join our community of entrepreneurs like you by entering your name and email at workalchemy.com.